0: What's your favourite scary movie? Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Screen. I'm your host, Mark Goddard. As we said in the last episode, what we are looking to do here on good screen is exactly the same as bloody good reads so we are going to interview people from the horror genre um directors producers critics every single corner of the uh of the horror of the horror genre and going kind to of see where they got into the genre how they got into horror in general and uh yeah we'll take them there so today's guest i'm very 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 happy she said yes to come on to this paper podcast if you listen to the snakebite Horrorcast, which some of you might do some of you probably don't. We reviewed a film called The Stylist a few about a month or so back, and it is the currently the best film of the year for me. Um, me and the boys absolutely loved this film. So, when I reached out to the director of the movie, I'm so surprised she said yes to coming on. So, <laughs> I'm very proud to welcome to the podcast Jill Gavar Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: No worries. Um, so Thank you again, a huge, huge thank you, because I'm actually a huge fan of The Stylist, one of the best films of the year for me. What we like to do here is basically force people to pick free movies that they absolutely love, because I'm a bastard <laughs> like that. So <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard you. thing to make people think. <laughs> I, I, I do this to authors every single week on the, on, the book, on the book podcast, so I'm going to do it to, to uh, the film genre now. Um, so I'm going to start the podcast off like I do every podcast and ask you how did you get into the horror genre?
1: Oh man, um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I'm not, I I know that when I was really little I loved anything that was scary, like, you know, first I kind of discovered the books, the scary stories to tell in the dark, you know, that have become mm. so, so iconic, um, and I love to play any, like, games at night outside in the dark, and I was just always really into anything that gave me that kind of thrill of being scared. And so then once I discovered movie, like scary movies, I was just like in love, you know, fall, fell head over heels. And that was when I was way too young to be watching them at like nine, 10 years old. And I would go stay with one of my best friends that I grew up with for the weekend and her parents would not pay very much attention to what we would rent (laughs) and so we would be watching (laughs) like you know at 10 years old is when I started to watch stuff and I very much remember watching specifically like Dr. Giggles at that age which is fun you know has a it's a funny great Mm -hmm. slasher but Candyman especially is one I watched back then that's still one of my favorite movies um but yeah I just became obsessed with it and really I always loved movies and first fell in love with movies that could make me cry. So then I think there's also a connection to the scary thing. It's like these intense uh, emotions that, you know, that they can evoke out of you. I just mm-hmm. fell for the idea that like a story could do that to you. And I, I love that still.
0: <laughs> Cause you're, I think you're, you're around the same age as me. So I think, especially when I was growing up in the UK, it was more, you had less kind of eyes on on the genre, so people could you could probably get away with watching more than you can nowadays. Especially, your parents back then weren't as kind of clued on as uh, as, as parents now <laughs> <Yes>. are. <laughs> I mean, I'm a parent myself. I'm never gonna let my uh, my my child watch stuff that I used to watch. No way. <laughs> but um, my my mum always used to let me watch a lot of stuff that I would have would have thought um, she had no idea I was watching. <laughs> But it's always a good way of getting into horror, especially young
1: Yeah, they didn't know any better how bad it really was.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Friendly me child's play when they probably didn't think it was actually uh, any, any bad as it was. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so did you always want to be kind of in the film genre? Or was it something that you kind of looked into doing later on in life? Or?
1: Yeah, it's not something that I actually even realised was a possibility or in my in, in it, at, at all until honestly till i went to a horror convention in my like late 20s and saw some films there met the filmmakers that made them and that's when it like all clicked i think in my head that like real people made
2: movies
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know it sounds ridiculous but before that i think i thought it was just something like completely out of reach that I would never even consider. And it was like, I guess it took me seeing like the people that did it behind a specific movie that I saw. I'm like, Oh, wow. This is a thing that people make movies. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When I was younger, like in middle school, like young teens, I would make, I made funny silly stuff for fun with friends on like a, my dad's giant camcorder on, T- on VHS tape <laughs> and um, but I didn't and then I was so I was always and I was always really interested in performance art and theater and all different types of creative stuff and so I just did little things that I think what finally led to this like photography and music and hair and fashion but um yeah it just it didn't dawn on me that it was so it wasn't like Something I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker from like the beginning of my life. I always loved films and loved being part of that world and creating, but yeah, I think I thought filmmaking was too big of a feat or impossible until I saw a person that did it <laughs> or met
2: one.
0: <laughs> Especially the horror genre, the people directing and kind of writing and producing are so laid back, and' are so normal, you wouldn't kind of expect it when you're going to first meet them. Because um, I used to go to Fright Fest a lot, you meet a lot of people on Fright at Fright Fest, directors and producers and writers. Yeah, so, you, know, you, you kind of get a different side of it. So yeah, yeah. Um,
1: you expect them all to be super weirdos. Plenty of us are. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so it's always nice to be a little bit. But <laughs> wouldn't be a horror yeah. fan if you wasn't. But <laughs> let's kick straight into it then. So every like like said at the start of the podcast, what we do is get you to pick three movies. So what is your first bloody good screen?
1: Oh man, which one do we do first? Well, since I already brought it up, naturally uh, we could do Candyman. Go for it. Should we say it? How many times do we say it <laughs> in the
0: mirror? Uh, it's it's almost ten o'clock at night here. I don't know if I want to say it many times. <laughs> i <laughs> think he'll show up and join
2: this podcast real quick hey i'm uh,
0: telling this podcast i would be more than happy
1: <laughs> tony he oh my gosh i don't know where to begin on the film uh, like i said it was it's one of the first horror movies i remember seeing ever in my life and mm. i don't think it's just because of that i think it's one of the best and scariest horror movies ever made and what I specifically love about it is that he I love his story and his background that he kind of has like a a similar to like a a backstory like a one of the classic monsters you know like all the universal monsters he has one Mm -hmm. of those like tragic stories where you know, like how he became a monster. and He was made a monster by other humans, which is a lot like, you know, the monster in Frankenstein or like a a misunderstood creature that's created by us or turned into a monster by humans. And so I really love those kind of stories because his story is sympathetic in that way. Like, you know, he was a victim turned into this monster who's also completely terrifying in his own right as well. So I just, I love that kind of stuff. I love the mix of sad and scary. And to me, he's like, you know, it has all this like romance in it. Cause his, his story is a, you know, he was in love with this woman, a white woman, and he was killed by this mob of white people because of racism. And it's a fascinating story that I think that's, you know, why they're remaking it. It's so it's sadly hor- horrifically so relevant. And I just love his story, his backstory. And it's, it's so, it's so gothic and Shakespearean. I'm very into that kind of stuff. And then the visuals behind it go into all that. And the music in that film, you know, like the organs, it's so gothic. Like it's just all, everything up my alley. It's, <laughs> I love that movie. And, and then like just on surface level, as a straight horror movie without any of that deep like what are the themes and stuff it's scary as hell like Tony Todd saying Helen in the parking garage in the daylight is like the scariest thing
2: <laughs> i've ever seen
1: like you get chill like chills all over your body just hearing him and then like you mm. he, he he's, i feel like he, it's such an iconic character unlike all the other kind of iconic horror killers that are all masked he's not so in one way i'm like i feel bad for tony todd because i see him and i see Candyman. like he is Candyman mm-hmm. to me forever mm-hmm. now but uh and so the first time i got to meet him at a convention i was like geeked out like i you would have thought i was like a 12 year old and i'm like 29 years old <laughs> standing in line like oh my god i'm gonna meet candy man this is the coolest moment of my life I could go on and on. I've been to so many conventions now that I got to actually take a picture with him in the, with him standing behind me in a mirror. And it's like the coolest picture I've nice. maybe have ever seen in my life.
0: <laughs> that is a good, that's a good photo opportunity. I love the sound of that. <laughs> and it's a great um, take on the Bloody Mary story as well. So it's yes. completely different turn, which it's good. It's It's a really good film. Wasn't a mass, massive fan of sequels. And what do you think the uh, the follow ups? Because they changed the, the the origin story slightly on that one. So he's yeah, actual kind of the, the death yeah. the death that he kind of went through.
1: Yeah, yeah I just I <laughs> pretty much ignore that that exists, <laughs> even though I <I've>
0: watched it. <laughs> <That is.
1: laughs> I've, I've been saying this a lot lately, but I don't think any filmmaker of an ori- like the original horror film. Like, I mean, the number one of something that turned into a franchise or even just mm. a couple sequels ever, like, that that was their intention from the start. That's, like, very rare. Like, in all the classics, like, they were forced to do it or they'd know, you know, none of the original filmmakers made the sequel. So it's just an interesting mm. thing to think about. Like, that was never really intended by the original filmmakers. I am excited to see the... Remake or reimagining or whatever we're whatever words we mm. use for that now with for Candyman.
0: Candyman, which is also called Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> that reboot. As everything <laughs> seems to be the same name nowadays. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, the the new one looks interesting. I, I i I think I prefer the story and kind of feel of the original. Looking at the two trailers together, you would kind of if you're a slasher fan, I'm a huge slasher fan. That's why I love Candyman. And I remember, um, first time I heard about the film was, uh, my family watching it downstairs, way too young to kind of watch it. And I remember my sister not looking in the mirror for about three weeks. And I'm just kind to sit on the stairs going, I want to know what's going on. Why they're we so scared? And it's such a great, <laughs> great, great film. Not as scary as kind of, I thought it was going to be, but you know, <laughs> with the amount of kind of drama my sister was doing, but I loved the film. And, Tony Todd is such a great actor, a very underrated horror actor as well. He's he's, he's in so many kind of the low budget stuff. He's in so many movies, but you don't hear so much about him. Any, and that's a waste of waste because he's such a great talent.
1: I wonder if it's, there's, a, there's a, like a catch 22 getting a role that iconic is people don't want to try to see you as someone else. You know what I mean? Like, Even though obviously an actor can, that's what they do is they can, they act as many different roles, but that's why we see this, you know, the actors, for instance, someone else that's just put into the same, you know, type, every movie you see someone in it's because all the people casting, we, you know, won't just like force ourselves like, oh, maybe like, let's let, let these people break out of their shell and not keep playing the same characters over and over again. I've always wondered that if, like playing something as iconic as Candyman or like Freddy Krueger, makes it really hard mm. to get other roles. It's like this one huge thing. And, yeah,
0: I don't know. You're always going to see Robert England as Freddy Krueger, even in his more recent <laughs> yes. work. You can you, you know, just picture Freddy. That is a
2: perfect, is choice.
0: perfect choice. <laughs> perfect choice. Perfect choice to start start the of choices. I'm a huge huge fan of the slasher genre, so. Glad someone's picked a slasher. Movie. Me too. So when you first started out, so you did a lot of short movies. So is your first one cool girl that you kind of got out there? Because that was shown at Fright Fest and that was very, very good. Yeah,
1: that was my first short. Uh, I mean, that's, I just jumped, that's when I jumped into filmmaking. The first thing I made since I was like 14 with, with my dad's camcorder. <laughs> so, <laughs> um i became obsessed right away like once we, I, we made that i felt like i found like i found that like the thing that i'm like obs- obsessed with and want to like do all the time um
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was like a realization of filmmaking is a, a co- like a combination of all of so many art forms, not every single one that exists, but like almost all of them, you get to like work with or work with people who work in it. And so I think that's why I became obsessed. But yeah, Call Girl was written by my friend Eric Havens, who was going to direct it and I was going to help produce it. And I didn't, also didn't even know really what that meant, but I just wanted to help make it and learn about making a film. And mm. then he realized like directing wasn't really the path he wanted. He's just more focused on writing and doesn't like the stress that comes with the directing part. (laughs) And uh, so I just asked if I could do it. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And here I am now. (laughs) Still still trying to figure it out.
0: And you've actually got a huge actor in your first short as well, Lawrence R. Harvey from uh, Human Centipede 2 fame. That was that must have been quite an, an interesting, <laughs> um, interesting chat after he's released that movie.
1: That was a dream scenario. I, I met Lawrence at one of the horror conventions. At that actually, that first one where I discovered filmmaking, that was a real thing that could happen. Um, <laughs> I met him that weekend, and I met the guys who made. Dear God, no, Frank and kind. Stein created Bikers. James Bickert is the director of those movies. I became friends with them that weekend and they maybe already knew Lawrence, I think is the situation. I met Lawrence because I wanted to as a fan, but then I also got to hang out with him a lot behind the scenes because of them. And Mm -hmm. we we, we stayed in touch thanks to social media. And I shared the script with call of call girl with him, really just for his thoughts on it. And he wrote me back saying he wanted to be in it. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my god, oh shit! Like I was actually very intimidated and scared. I wanted to do it, but I thought I was too scared. Like I would be too too intimidated to do it. And then I finally yeah. got, came around, to realizing I'd be crazy to not take that opportunity. thanks to him is how we got Tristan, who is also in it, Tristan Risk. And I think I I got to work with two really experienced people on my first thing. So it was, I learned from that, that that's not something to be scared of. That's something you should try to do because then you're surrounded by people who know more than you and that you're just going to learn from them. And (laughs) that's the idea I'm trying to put, the but he's such a, such a talented person. Again, like you're saying the horror people you think are gonna be super weird. <laughs> He's like the sweetest man in the world, who is also very weird, but I mean that as a total compliment.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, especially looking at his in his um audition for Human b Two and what he did to that chair. <laughs> He's very, very weird man. <laughs> Met him briefly at Fright Fest, but he, he seems absolutely lovely, though. Um, but yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> he has a it background <laughs> in, in performance art more so than mm. acting, and you can totally see that. And almost like a look at Human Centipede Two in a different light. Like sure, it's the super gross out film, but it actually has like an insanely <laughs> good per- like performance at its center, like. Mm. For it being this like super disgusting movie that plenty of people would never watch. Like Lawrence carries that film and doesn't say a word in that entire movie. That's an incredible performance.
0: Mm. No, I 100% agree. It's a
1: silent like role. (laughs) It's insane. That's not easy.
0: And yeah, (laughs) glad he was silent in that one. (laughs) (laughs) So. You were also kind of looking at your kind of shorts shorts, and kind of what you've been up to. You were a second unit director for Jen and Sylvia Soska. That must have been a cool experience. Two of the, the kind of biggest names, especially female yeah. names in, in horror.
1: That was all connected to this freaking Call Girl experience. Because Tristan Risk, who was in Call Girls, works with, Soskas, she was in American Mary. She played Beatrice, the character that was, you know, had plastic surgery to become look, to look a lot like uh, Betty Boop, the character. Um, mm. But through my through Tristan, it, it was like, it was this weird, crazy timing and just being in the right place at the right moment situation where the t- Soskas knew I, I was shooting Call Girl And that Lawrence was here in town with me. And they wanted just one little shot of Lawrence in their segment. So they asked me to shoot that for them. And then what's crazy is the ABC's of Death Producers, they took that shot out of the twin segment. And they put it at the very end of the whole movie, like it's now a secret shot at the end of the credits. Mm. And it's really just really fucked up, disturbing thing. <laughs> it's not, not <laughs> surprising at all if anyone remember, like, the Soska's segment was teased for torture porn, and yeah, huh? had Tristan Risk in it as well. She was playing a porn actor doing an audition for all these super creepy dudes, and all these tent. Spoiler alert! All these tentacles come out of her and st- start to do <laughs> horrific things to the men. And what it was, what what was going to happen? This is a cool story. Was that it was going to cut out to suddenly Lawrence, like as if he was watching this on a web, like on his laptop, uh, masturbating to it. <laughs> and then he's like, "How the fuck am I supposed to wank to that?" And uh, <laughs> so they take it and put that at the end of the whole movie. So it's kind of cool that now he's saying it about like the whole movie, but. I had no idea they were doing it till I watched the movie. So I'm like watching the segment and then I was so upset. I'm like, oh, they took my shot out totally and I had no idea. And then I was like beyond surprised when it was at the very end. I was like, holy crap.
2: <laughs> so it was
1: fun. Very funny experience. We're shooting in my friend's apartment. Like, okay, this is what we're yeah. doing
0: <laughs> right now. <laughs> By the way, tentacles there you go <laughs> no questions and lawrence out,
1: wearing, a sh- wearing a shirt with a picture of himself on it from human centipede 2 in the in the <laughs> shot in the scene it's the most
2: ridiculous thing in the world.
1: i've managed to sneak lawrence into a lot of other things like i worked on i was assistant director on my on frankenstein created bikers james bickert's film lawrence is in that Lawrence also did the voice of a puppet in a film that I was the producer on called BFF Girls. It's a short film, so I'm always trying to bring Lawrence in somewhere. If anything, he's going (laughs) to voice a puppet of a of a perverted cat. That's what he did in BFF Girls. (laughs) I swear he's getting typecasted now. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a theme here. I'm
0: sorry. (laughs) Cool. That is such a cool story. I love that. <laughs> Go on. No, we need to do it. We need to segue into the second one because we can get carried away by talking about Lawrence all day. <laughs> so yes, what yes. is your second, by a good screen?
2: Great
1: question. What is it? Um, let's talk about Lucky McKee's film May, which I've been called out for for my clear inspiration on the stylist, <laughs> for.
0: Never seen May. It's one of the ones of his I haven't seen. So.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. I know. Okay. It's, it's always been on my list. It's always been you on my have list. To but watch never, it have
1: immediately now that we've talked, that I'm talking about it. Um,
0: I will go straight into it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: what's w- interesting is I didn't see it also. Like, I didn't see it when it first came out, which doesn't really make sense to me because I think it's like around 2005 or around like the time I'd be watching a lot of movies and I didn't even hear about it and years later I remember seeing the image of her which is like the poster image with it's her face and these like scissors around her and and then I knew a a friend had her tattooed on him and I'm like what is this movie like and then I finally watched it and just became obsessed with it it's everything I love. It's a character piece about a woman who is kind of slowly losing grip with reality, which is clearly something I like if you've seen a stylist. (laughs) Um, And May, I think is interesting because this is not spoilery, I don't think, but it's not like a serial killer. It's not like how Claire is clearly in very insane from the start of the film Um, Mm. it's different it's not it's so much of a drama like with these weird tense thriller vibes and then it's like a full blown horror movie when you get to the end and um, it's just that the central performance by Angela Bettis is just like incredible she is so sympathetic and so awkward and sweet and it's just like heartbreaking to watch her kind of fall apart (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I laugh because I realize how morbid that sounds but it's just such a good film (laughs) and character piece and I love it it's I don't feel I feel like everything else Lucky is done is so different from that I love that film um
2: Mm.
1: I could go on forever I don't know there's so many little nods that we do to it in the film like Claire's vanity in her basement where she sits down and like tries on her scalps that she's taken from people mm-hmm. um <laughs> May has a vanity she sits at and it's just like there's little things it's a it's just a, a film that I love and such a a dear little character you fall in love with her even though she's absolutely lost her mind by the end of it a lot of people say that the film the stylist is like May maniac together which i totally see that people think is <laughs> those two films had a baby
2: <laughs> um but yeah
0: i'm gonna have to catch it because because I'll, I'll tell you. Huge fan of the stylist, and if it is kind of connected, I need to go. I need to watch this now. I need to watch it and see see the inspirations behind your film. So it's oh, on the I list, do. definitely on the list. <laughs> okay, let's go into why we're here to talk about the stylist. So, how did it all kind of come about? Because it started as a short short film. What was um, why did you pick this film to be kind of your one that you'd like to kind of turn into a full feature? Because your first feature movie. What was it about *Stylist* that kind of really kind of pushed you to make it into a a full film?
1: It was just something that from the beginning of the idea, I wanted to. I wanted it to be a feature even before we made the short, but I knew. I knew, and I wanted more experience. I had that at that point. I had only made *Call Girl*, and I just knew there's no way I was gonna jump from the one short film to trying to make a feature so but I felt like like that I already knew like the stylist was my gonna be my first feature it just like made sense to me as for the whole concept and like just everything about it it's very personal I am a hairstylist I have been for a long time and Mm -hmm. um so it just made sense like we'll start with a short film and then we'll write the feature and we'll have the short film to like use to hopefully help us make the feature. And, um, one thing I, major thing I learned in hindsight is I should have had the script ready for the feature, like totally ready before the short came out to festivals, because that's when everyone asked us like, Oh, is this a feature? Like, do you guys have a script? We want to see it. And we're like, it is a feature. We don't have the script yet. (laughs) And, um, by the time we did we tried to get it financed for a couple years and then finally i was just like we got to make this now like we're done waiting for someone to finance it we got to figure out how we're going to finance it with like (laughs) either kickstarter or small amounts of money from private investors and um so yeah i just felt like it was just the concept that chose me it wasn't like what short none of my other shorts to me feel like something I want to expand they just exist to me as short stories but this was always like Mm. the short was just like a little peek into who uh, Claire's life and then we were going to go show you more of it when we finally made the feature
0: it's an interesting tale your movie I I absolutely (laughs) bloody love it Um, is it uh, if you tell me this is based on true stories, I'll be absolutely happy about this. But <laughs> but, um, but the inspiration behind it for the character, is it because you're a hairstylist yourself, is this kind of something that you kind of thought about while cutting hair, that you'd like to tape it with hair? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: absolutely not. Um, the idea of doing a movie about a hairstylist was really based upon, like, the like, I feel like the indie low budget just filmmaker thinking and like teaching that they like kind of I feel like is in a lot of people's mind and especially preached in like Robert Rodriguez's book, How to What the Hell is It Called Rebel Without a Crew? Um, and just to like kind of like the, a smart way to think as a starting out filmmaker who without like a million dollars or really without a million dollars. <laughs> and So, like, what do you have access to that's, like, unique? What do you know that's unique? Like, and access to is what I mean is, like, locations or props or people or information or whatever it may be. I learned that early that, like, filmmaking, as far as making it look better, production value is all about, like, having really cool locations because you don't have the money to, like, build a set from scratch or or design a room from scratch and Mm. so with that kind of thinking I was just like salons like I'm in salons all the time working a salon like I've never seen a movie like largely set in a salon I've never seen a movie about a hairstylist like as the protagonist of like any genre and so I just thought like I have access to these locations that are unique and cool and I know about this world and I can do it like as true to reality as possible within our constraints because you see so many professions represented in movies that don't look like Mm. they're represented in a real way at all. I know you can't completely do stuff the real way because you're not having, say an actual hairstylist play the stylist. So I can't show her actually cutting hair without maybe what we, we actually used, Stunt hands in close-ups, okay. but um, that's a totally different story. <laughs> um, but it it just came from like this thing of like this is something that I know that I can put a like extremely personal touch on. That like will come like well that will resonate and like of course there's tons of little things in Claire that are me like mm. or just in her taste of like I love her fashion even though I don't dress that way like I love it or like her dog is mine or like the scene of her eating soup is like you can't even see what she's eating but like I wrote it to be like something I would do and um Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of her in me and her but I don't write stuff out of like vengeance I definitely don't have like violent tendencies I'm trying to act out in my films (laughs) I think that is something like, we laugh about, but like, if someone's doing that, you might, need, yeah. maybe we need to talk to a therapist about this. Um, maybe <laughs> I do. I have, like, actually, ex- I have to be honest, like, work, like, I have exercised uh, vengeance in, in like dialogue. Like, I have mm. in things that have happened to me, I've put into scenes, but I haven't, like, but whenever, like, any violence that is in my movie isn't done out of like.
2: Fantasy for like
1: being inter It's just like to me. It's like fun, and but it's like yeah. I get that yeah. question all the time, of course, because I'm a hairstylist, and I do love to tell people like while I'm doing their hair, they're like that they don't know already what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, I made a movie about a hairstylist that kills people, and they're like, oh shit, like what am I doing? <laughs> so I do like to scare people in that way, but I swear no. But really, yeah, it just became from (laughs) I think what makes films ultimately stick with people is like it being personal in some way. Like, Too many horror filmmakers are too concerned with just trying to make something that's like the most like something you've never seen before or that like is super nasty or like the most shocking. Mm -hmm. And it's like I don't know. It's interesting. as I thought that since I've done this and had these questions so many times, I'm like, I wonder if this world hasn't been represented in movies very much because throughout history most films have been made by men. Most salons are full mm. of women, and that's probably why you haven't seen it yet.
0: Quite possibly. Quite possibly. I mean Except yeah, for I mean, Sweeney Todd, he was a man. But <laughs> then he was also making pies, but yeah. No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Claire I mean, and Sweeney Todd will get together and make some <laughs> pie.
0: We kind of see why Claire's doing it, though. It's it, it's a strange situation because she's a very sympathetic character. You kind of feel quite bad for her because it is it, from the viewer's point, she's only really doing this as a coping mechanism. Like how I read it. Probably wrong, but you know, she wants to quit it. She does quit it, and then it's the the Hindu which kind of sets it back off and she's doing it to make herself feel better. So she Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm kind of seeing it as she's kinda of taking the hair and putting the hair on herself so she isn't isn't herself. So she can be somebody different because she feels yeah. so bad about herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, to me it was always the idea that she wanted to escape her own mind and just feel what it feels like to be someone else for a moment.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And yeah, it's really just about that. Not so much about perfection, which I realized the short film made people kind of focus on that, which naturally that's a theme because of the beauty industry and Mm. everyone striving for this impossible idea of perfection at all times. Um, But yeah, Yeah. Claire has become so simple. It's been interesting to hear so many people's different takes on her, which I'm really excited that it's, that that was, that's been possible. Mm -hmm. Because to me, she's she's someone dealing with like identity issues and it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And Mm -hmm. we left it open intentionally so that people could, you know, insert their own. Yeah reasoning
0: and Cause whatever for it because to, to me watching it it's very it's if you have depression or you kind of you you suffer from that and you kind of want to be someone else and seeing her kind of wanting to be the people she's gotten the hair because they have these exciting lives and she feels like her, her life isn't kind of as exciting, but especially the first the first lady that she kind of takes the hair off of. You know, she goes back to her a couple of times and she goes through different, different hair stuff, but nothing nothing suits her right. One question I do want to ask. The, the final scenes where, I am going like spoilers, is it that Claire wanted to be with the bride or was it that she wanted to be, be the bride? Because there's a lot of the backstory which kind of goes back to a wedding which I'm assuming is the wedding she should have had but
1: she wants to be her kind of like the I was saying she wants to feel what it's like to be someone else and so the ending mm-hmm. is like this grand uh my attempt at this Shakespearean type of way over the top uh dramatic ending mm-hmm. where she, this kind of like coming out moment for her. Like she's finally going to get to be someone else in front of everyone else. Like she gets to come out Mm. and expose herself for what she really wants to be and be seen finally. And, but I think she also knows somewhere like that. This is just, this is like a fleeting moment. This, this can't go on past this one moment. And it's mm. kind of this, like, suicide in a way. Like, she knows it can't go
0: in-game. past, game, God,
1: past here. Once she's exposed this, it's over. And, well, yeah. um, like, she could... It's yeah. almost like this is her only way to stop herself from continuing to do it in this very dark messed up way Mm. um like a self-sabotage like i kind of see the whole uh end of the there's like leading up to the ending scenes the night before she's really spiraling and each scene she's it's kind of getting more insane and that she's just completely Mm. kind of completely losing touch of the of the version of claire who could kind of like like she had everything kind of compartmentalized and nice and organized. Like the killer version of herself was over here. The person she could present in public is over here. Mm. And then all that just, she loses like all control of that. And she starts making um, mistakes
0: and yeah, it kind of yeah. spirals.
1: But uh it wasn't really like that. There's a previous wedding. It was just that, you know, with, it's interesting. The wedding thing really just came to me because that's something hairstylists are always involved in. And mm. that's like, when I, the ending came to me in the writing process, I was so excited. I was like, I was so confident in it. I knew I'm like, this is the ending. It's good. That's so, it was like everything I wanted, this like big theatrical over the top tragic mm-hmm. moment that we could like design set wise, really cool. And, um, so it is very, it, also I also had just come to terms with myself about what I was doing kind of narratively because I was like, I wanted her, Claire, to be so grounded emotionally and relatable, but kind of the stuff we're doing is very theatrical. And I was like, how do we ride this line? And it, I feel like it's all in Najara's performance. She, she makes it work somehow and doesn't make it feel...
0: She is amazing, silly. essentially.
1: Yeah, she is a dream and we would never have made this movie if she wasn't going to come back and be Claire. And I mean, all of us to like, even my DP, the production designer, all the producers, we were like, like she's going to lead us into this. We don't like, there's no way we would do this without her. She like brought her to life in the most perfect way in the short film. And she'd been just as invested in the project as we were writing it and Really helped build that character.
0: Cool. Again, absolutely love the film. So, if you haven't seen the film yet, I'm not going to ask too many questions because I don't want to kind of throw any major, major spoilers out there. But go and see the film now. I beg of you, it is my number one film of the year, it still is after all the films I've seen this year. Go and <laughs> see it. You will not be disappointed. Um, so, let's segue to the final Bloody Good Screen. What is your last film pick?
1: Oh man. One of the best movies in the world, like a most per- maybe like a perfectly made film. Um 7 by David Fincher to you know just kind of Amazing barely film. barely veer off straight horror, which we all have these debates on Twitter and I don't even fucking want to start about thriller versus horror. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I do understand that there's a difference. Oftentimes, movies are both things. There's nothing wrong with them being both at the same time. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with understanding the difference in the definition of, you know, it's just like, it's just kind of, to me, perspective. Like, you could tell a more horror version of Seven, but that would be like if you were following along with the victims versus following along with the detectives, which makes it a crime thriller. (laughs) <laughs> and but it, like of course it's yeah still a fucking horror movie we still see all this gore and it's but it's definitely I kind of think that's the difference it's I don't it, it all combines I I love thriller I love crime and I love horror so th- it's like all three of those and it's a
0: very fine line it's such a fine line between crime and horror so now, I spoke to an author um, Mark Binnenham on the book podcast About a month or so ago and he writes a series of crime crime novels um, in the UK and he said while it's a crime thriller he never kind of marketed it as a crime thriller a lot of his first three books is more horror and even though it is set in a crime kind of setting the horrific acts are more kind of based in horror than it is kind of in the kind of crime side obviously the more he went on and the more his publisher pushed for it to be more of a thriller then he got more kind of into cop kind of detective side of it but it's such yeah. a thin line and this is why the argument of is science of lambs a horror film it kind of gets thrown in there as well but i, I see kind yeah. of seven more like like saw I and mean, saw technically yes it's a horror film but it's also technically a crime or a thriller because yeah. it is
1: it's interesting because I feel like it's almost like the difference is like what is the the film's intention? Like what 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 feeling are they intending us to feel? Because to me, like something like Seven isn't necessarily scary because it's more methodical. We're more like along the story. We're experiencing everything, even though there are a couple maybe kind of tense, scary moments. But it's not designed to scare us. But then, what's weird is I would say, like the stylist, I didn't design to scare people. To me, it's like I'm taking you along with Claire; she's the bad guy, but Mm. you're on her side. But it's of course still like a horror movie because she's killing people. But to me, I always was always approaching it like a psychological thriller drama that has horror, like Mm. horror scenes, like slasher scenes. And but so I really think it's just such a weird thing to describe. It's like. I could almost totally defend that like seven isn't a horror movie. And then I could totally defend that it is. <laughs> I could do the same thing with silence of the Lambs, Cause to mm-hmm. me, like it's totally obviously crime until like those scenes between Clarice and Hannibal are like super tense and scary, even just those conversations mm-hmm. or when she's walking through the, you know, Buffalo Bill's house in the dark, but it's like, mm-hmm. but I can totally see someone saying that they're not horror movies and I understand what they mean. It's just like, Mm-hmm. like people have to get in such such a freaking <laughs> roar about it. I understand cuz we we love horror so much that we don't like it when people like take the take these movies or like don't want to call like a really prestigious film a horror movie. I think that's part of it, mm-hmm. but yeah, 7. We're not I could talk about it forever. I'm a huge David Fincher fan yes. like in general. Um I mean, he's like the king of the freaking crime thriller that what we're talking about right now, like Zodiac and Zodiac and seven might be my favorite too. And I love the